0: Uh, so, we are starting a new series today called Grownups, and I'm so excited about it. But before we get started, I just wanted to say, Kirsten, thank you for sharing your story and for your courage and your bravery. Good job. Yeah. She's going to kill me for putting her on the spot, but that's okay. I can take it. Uh, yeah, so like I said, we're starting a series today called Grownups. We're looking at what does it mean to be a grown up, and I was... As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, growing up and how often as kids, we, you know, we think about, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, I was really committed to being a firefighter for a few years. Uh, and then I decided, no, actually, I wanted to be a writer. I loved books. I was a bookworm. I really wanted to be a writer. But after a while, I started thinking, you know, actually, I don't really want to write books. I just want to read them. So I wanted to be paid to read books. And I don't mean as an editor. I didn't want to do any of the proofreading. I just wanted to read the books and then people pay me for it. Um, Unfortunately, that didn't quite pan out the way I was hoping. Uh, So here I am. Um, Now, something else you need to know about me is that I love information. I love to Google things. All of my friends will tell you that as soon as you ask a question about how something works or if I wonder how something works, I'm not content to just go, I don't know. I have to. I pull up my phone and I'm on Google right away. Guys, I have the Wikipedia app. I'm not content to just read it on Safari, okay? I have the app. I'm reading Wikipedia articles all the time. I would say at least twice a week I fall asleep reading a Wikipedia article and I wake up at 3 in the morning, my lights are still on, my glasses are in one hand, my phone's in the other. Uh, I just love information. And, and in my Googling at late at night, I came across a list of the 15 most popular jobs that kids want to have when they grow up. And I wanted to read them to you. First one is a dancer, actor, musician, teacher, scientist, athlete, firefighter, Hello? Um, <laughs> detective, writer, okay, police officer, astronaut, pilot, veterinarian, lawyer, and doctor. Uh, reading books didn't make the list, unfortunately. Um, but it is quite the list. And I was one of those typical kids dreaming one day of putting out fires and rescuing cats from trees. Uh, but fortunately, I had the, the wherewithal to realize when I was older that I'm really not built to be a firefighter, okay? I need to leave that to other people. Um, but what I did, wh- what I have done as I've grown older, started to think about what defines us as grown-ups. You know, and so for a long time, I sort of thought, okay, when I move out, that's when I know that I'll, I'm a grown-up. Um, and so I did that. And lo and behold, I still didn't really feel like an adult when I moved out. I was sort of like, uh, okay, rude. I was supposed to be an adult now. How come I don't feel like an adult? And so then I thought, okay, well, I went back to the drawing board and thought, maybe it's when I get a full-time job. And so I did that. I actually got a full-time job here at Riverwood, and I was like, yes, now I'm an adult. But again, I still was sort of like, I don't feel like a grown-up. And people would come, and they'd like ask me to do something. they be like, Zach, I need you to take care of this project, or give me something to do. And I would sort of be sitting at my desk like, but I'm a baby. <laughs> I... I'm a baby. You shouldn't be put, giving me this responsibility. And, and I think we kind of do that in life, right? We, we put, uh, we say there's certain things that will make us an adult. One of those we talked, I preached about uh, a couple weeks ago about we believe that when we're married maybe we'll be an adulter. well you should be an adult if you're getting married. Um, or at least have your parents consent. Um, <laughs> Uh, or we say, you know, when I buy a house, then I'll be an adult, or when I do this or that. And in this series, Grown Ups, we're actually going to be looking at four different areas um, of our lives and how often young adults and also uh, not-so-young adults struggle to look at these areas and, and how a, being an adult isn't about achieving certain stages, because y'all know you've met someone who is an adult and is acting like such a child, Right. So, we're going to be talking about these four areas. Sorry, my sleeve keeps sliding down. Just ignore it. Um, And the first topic we're going to be looking at tonight is the church and how we can be grown-ups in the church. And we're going to be looking at the story of the prodigal son. Uh, It's a parable in in the Bible. The Bible has two parts, the Old and New Testament. Uh, It's in the New Testament in the book of Luke, which was written by a doctor in the early church named Luke. And uh, he wrote a book about Jesus' life, and this is a story that Jesus tells uh, as an illustration of what the kingdom of God looks like. And I think that it's a great tool for us to uh, understand what, how we can act within the church. And so we're going to be turning there. I'd encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn there, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Uh, maybe you have your Bible on your phone. You can turn to that. Just don't go on Instagram. Um, I'll, be, I'll be really sad if you do. So... Um, And if you don't have your Bible, that's all good. We're going to have it on the screens, but I encourage you to bring it every week and come expecting God to speak to you. And so we're going to start in verse 11, and it says, And he, Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. While while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the son was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Before we continue, let's take a minute to pray. God, I just pray for every person in this room, regardless of their situation or circumstance. I pray that they would feel at home tonight, God. And I pray for uh, this message, God, that it would be your word spoken here tonight, God. I pray that you would reveal to us through your scripture how you want us to live, and operate within your church, and that we would be inspired, encouraged, and challenged to go out from this place and serve you and your church. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in this this story, we typically identify three characters. The, the prodigal son, or the younger son, we call him, the older son, and then the father. But I'm going to propose that there's actually four characters, and that these four characters actually represent how different people interact with the church and how they see themselves operating within the church. And so the first person that, or the character that we meet is the younger son in verses 11 to 13. So just the first part of the story, that younger son, I'm going to say is one character. And here we see that he's described as greedy, selfish, wasteful, and that he chases after the next best thing. The son approaches his father and says, I don't want to do the hard work of following you and working and waiting until you die to get my inheritance. I just want it now. I just want the reward now without any of the hard work. Um, He's also selfish. He only cares about what impacts him in his life. He doesn't care that his brother and his father will have to live on with only half of the family's wealth. Uh, He doesn't care that he's implied to his father that he wishes he was dead. Uh, All he cares about is is himself. He's wasteful. He takes a huge huge fortune and goes somewhere and wastes it all away and has nothing left to show for it. And he chases after the next best thing. He goes off to a far-off land because he hopes that he'll find something better, that the grass will be greener there. And I think there are many people in the church who, or or many people treat the church this way. They're greedy. They go to church and they just want to see, how can the church serve me? What can the church do for me? What can the church give to me? With no thought, really, of what they can contribute back to the church. And then there's people who are selfish with church, who only care about and pay attention to what involves them, what surrounds them how they're affected, and they don't really think about others uh, in any sense. Then there are those who are wasteful. They bounce around from church to church, and they come to a church, and they use all of the resources, because if you believe it or not, it costs money to to keep this building open, right? And so the more people, the more buildings, the more resources that are necessary in order to do that, but instead of contributing back and becoming part of the mission and helping to build it up, they just uh, consume and then leave. And finally, there's the people who chase after the next best thing. They come to a church, they love it. As soon as there's something they don't like or it doesn't suit their fancy anymore, then they bounce off to something else. And this is a really dangerous approach to church. It's really dangerous because on the surface, it appears that everything's great. You come and you feel connected at first and you get to know all these new people. And if you're an extrovert, you're having a great time because you're meeting so many new people. But then when things get difficult, when Uh, the church does something that you're not really a fan of, if there's a sermon series that doesn't really feel like it's directly applicable to your life, um, then you decide, you know what, this isn't for me anymore, and you, you bounce off to another church. And not only do you hurt the churches you're bouncing around to, but you're actually robbing yourself. Because you're robbing yourself of an opportunity for deep community, for true purpose, and to be part of something that's greater than yourself, and a safety net that's going to help you when life gets tough. Now, the second... Character that we meet is the younger son, after he loses everything, and this per, this son he's he's ashamed of what he's done. He's filled with shame and guilt. Um, he's he's lost sight of his the vision and purpose for his his life, and he's in the dirtiest, lowliest position. Jesus is speaking to Jews, and uh, pigs or pork was seen as unclean, so he's working with the most unclean animal, um, and so. I think there's lots of people whose experience with the church is like this. You know, they're they're filled with shame. They believe that they've done too many bad things, that they're not good enough for church, that they they see the church as somewhere where they'll never be welcomed home because they're too bad, they're too far gone. And you know what? This character actually breaks my heart the most. Because often these people are ones whose faith community has failed them, has forgotten to lift them up, and that... And they leave the church physically, but long before that, they've already become lost. And eventually, they just decide, what's the point in coming anymore? And often, this is rooted in a crisis or doubt or uh, personal struggle that they deem too much for the church to handle or not worthy of the church's time and attention. And the third character we meet is the older son. The older son is cold. He doesn't see why he should welcome his brother back. He's selfish, as well, only thinking about what serves him. He says, why didn't you throw me a party? Why didn't you give me a goat? Um, I, I want a goat. He's stingy. He doesn't offer anything to the party. He doesn't in any way contribute to what's happening. And he even withholds his own presence. He says, I'm not going in the house. And he's judgmental. He believes that his, his brother is too far gone. He's not worth any of the father's attention. And finally, he's dishonoring. He disrespects his father and criticizes him. And you know what? There are many, 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 many people in the church with this mindset. They see church as an obligation. They're cold. They have no sense of why they should welcome new people in, why they should welcome the loss or the hurting or the broken. They don't want to deal with people's brokenness. They're selfish. They only see the ways that the church is failing them, the way that it's not performing well, and they don't see how it is rescuing and helping other people. They're stingy. They only contribute to what is important to them. I'm only going to give to this thing because I believe this is important and this thing isn't, so I'm not going to give to that. Or they only volunteer in certain areas because they believe that's important, but I'm not going to volunteer there because I don't think that's important enough. They withhold. They're stingy. And they're judgmental. They prioritize morals over welcoming people. They believe you have to look a certain way. You have to fit a certain mold. You have to have your life together before you belong here. And finally, they don't honor their leaders. They mock, they criticize, they gossip about the one who is in authority over them or the ones. They don't recognize the value in sitting under someone else's leadership and authority and learning from their wisdom. And ultimately, I believe that this mindset comes and is rooted in a fear. And it's a fear that if new people come in, if we welcome other people in, what maybe I won't have a place anymore. Maybe I won't be able to contribute. What if the, the talents and skills and abilities that I have to contribute won't be valued because someone else will come in who's better, who has more? Or maybe this, the community is going to change, and I don't want it to change. I want it to be exactly like it is right now. And if you're one of those people, I want to say this to you. There's hope for you, and there, there is a potential for you to, in this moment, tonight, decide that you're going to change how you interact with the church, and that I believe that if you change your attitude towards the church, and if you change the way that you interact with the church, you're actually going to find so much beauty, and love, and grace in it. You're going to find purpose, If you're the one who is chasing after the next best thing, there is a loving father who is waiting on that road who wants to welcome you home and give you a purpose and help you connect. If you are filled with shame and doubt, there is a father on that road who's going to put a ring on your finger to represent your status within that household as a a son or daughter of that household, who's going to put the best robe on you to protect your dignity, and who's going to place shoes on your feet to protect you as you walk through the journey. And if you're someone who is afraid of losing your position, if you are that older son who's in the church but is worried or scared that if things change that you won't belong anymore, there's a father who says to you, you are always, always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Now, I don't just want to leave it there. I want to talk about this fourth character, and the fourth character is the father. And he presents a beautiful alternative to these three other characters. Typically in sermons, we say the father is Jesus, and I believe that's true. The the father represents Jesus in our own lives. We can be the younger son who uh, needs that rescue, and that's beautiful. But just as we're supposed to model our lives after Jesus' life, I believe that we should model how we interact with the church after the father. And there's four characteristics of the father that I want to talk about today. And the first characteristic is that the father remains planted. When the son runs off to chase the next best thing, when he goes away, the father doesn't run after him or give up and try moving somewhere else. He remains planted. He stays where he is, where God has placed him, and he commits to it. He works there. He serves. I love what Psalm 92 says in this vein. It says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord they flourish in the courts of our God. The father flourishes in his home. Even before the son leaves, he's amassed massive amounts of wealth, property, servants, animals. Everything that would indicate that he is flourishing. Now, this isn't to say that every Christian's going to have massive amounts of wealth, but that this wealth is meant to represent the good things of life. The good things, but he has to work hard for it. He has to stay planted. He has to be committed in order to see those good things come about. And we too, when we plant ourselves in the church, we can flourish. We must remain committed to the mission of the church. We have to give generously, serve faithfully, get connected in with people within that community. Believe in your church. Believe in your church. Catch the vision. What is your church trying to accomplish? And do everything in your power to make that vision come true. Because when you do, it is there that you're going to flourish and grow into who God has called you to be. Instead of chasing after the next best thing like the younger son, be like the father and choose to commit and s- plant yourself within your church. Because here's the thing, genuine faith and genuine community don't happen by accident. You're not accidentally going to go to a church and fall into a great community and a great faith. You have to work at it, you have to commit to it, you have to make the choice to do it. But when you do, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. See, the father stays planted, and because he has deep roots, he's planted, he's able to withstand the storms of life. When the, son, the younger son abandons him and betrays him, he withstands it. And same for us, when we're deeply planted into a, a community of faith, we're able to withstand the storms of life. Last weekend was really tough for me. Uh, the week before had been really hard, and, and uh, I'll be open about it. I have anxiety and depression. Uh, I go to counseling. I, have, I take medication for it. But it doesn't mean that it's easy all the time. And I'd had a really hard week, and I was feeling very forsaken and forgotten by God. And we came into church, and we were singing Who You Say I Am, which we sang earlier tonight. And when we got to the bridge, and it said, I am chosen, not forsaken, I couldn't sing it. And I started crying, and I left. Because I couldn't believe that that was true for me. And Mark came he noticed and he came and he found me and he comforted me and he looked me in the eyes and he said, allow those words to be prophetic for you and sing them even if you're having a hard time believing them. And then, because I'm stubborn and thick-headed, God had to do it again. After church, we came here to the warehouse for Uprising Conferences Team Night, and if you haven't signed up to serve, you should. You can talk to Brittany. It's going to be a great time. We came here for Team Night when we were doing worship and we were singing How He Loves and I was standing right there at the back and I was really struggling with it. And Roberta, unprompted, she didn't know what was going on, came to the back and said Zach, you need to hear the words of this song. You need to know that He loves you. Cue the waterworks again and she prayed for me and over the course of that weekend, multiple different people in my church community came around me and, and comforted me and lifted me up and prayed for me and I was able to withstand that storm. It doesn't mean that it was easy, but I withstood it because I had deeply planted roots in a community. The second characteristic of the father that I believe we should emulate is this. He builds the house. He builds the house. The father invests in and builds the house that he is part of. He labors for it. He works for it. He's committed to it. He serves the house. Unlike the younger son who does little and only desires the world, The reward the father invests time energy money and other resources into the house it's so fruitful it's so it it produces so well that he's able to not only support his children but also his servants the younger son identifies this later when he says the servants have more than enough bread there's actually overflow because he's so faithful and remarkably his house continues to be faithful after he loses not only half of his wealth but half of his property which would have generated income. And it's because of his hard work, his dedication, his selflessness, his generosity, and his faithfulness that he's able to do this. Each of us have to recognize how we can dedicate our lives to the house, to the global church, but also to the local expression of that, the local church. Are you tithing to your local church? Are you serving at your local church? Do you believe... In the vision of your local church are you actively connecting with other people in your local church and are you attending and worshiping and learning together with your faith community every single week because all of these are important and all of these are necessary for building the house see many of us convince ourselves oh I I just I have a small group it's a great small group I don't need church and we often use uh, the examples in the uh, New Testament of the early church meeting in houses, houses as our justification for this. They met in houses, I meet in the house, that's all I need. But see, that description in the New Testament is that just that. It's descriptive. It is not prescriptive. Meaning it is not intended to be used to apply as as a reason for why you should do something. Because the early church, the members of the early church, they met in houses, yes, but they continued to meet in the synagogue and the temple. They worshipped, they Continue to give their finances. They learned together. They listened to scripture. They were committed to the larger gathering. And it was only when they started being persecuted and were killed that they stopped that. So if you want an excuse not to go to church on the weekend, the only excuse is if you're going to die if you go there. Okay? <laughs> you need to be building your local church. You need to be there weekly worshiping. You need to be giving sitting under, under the teaching of someone wiser than yourself. Probably not me. Um, <laughs> you need to find a group of people in your church who you are committed to, who are going to challenge you, who are going to care for you, who are going to love you, and who you're going to do the same for. And see, many people in the church treat it as an extra, extracurricular activity. I have hockey, I have dance, I have this class, I have church. But see, church is not part of your life. Church is your life right? Your responsibility is to be in your church and to build it. And you know, this is biblical because often our excuse for this is that, well, there's professionals who do that, right? My pastor does ministry. My youth pastor does ministry. The church staff do ministry. But I want to share with you what Paul writes to the Ephesians. In chapter four of Ephesians, he says, it says, and he gave up the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And that's where we stop. You say, oh yeah, he gave us these people. They do ministry. But he keeps going, and he says, why do they do this? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The professionals are not there to do ministry. They're there to challenge, inspire, and equip you, the ordinary, everyday Christian, you get to be called a saint, okay, holla, you to do the ministry. You guys are ministers of the gospel. You have been given gifts, talents, abilities in order to bring about God's kingdom. When we, like the Father, remain planted in the church, when we build the house, then we bear good fruit. This is the third characteristic, bearing good fruit. Psalm 92, which we read earlier, says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. If you want to continue to be fruitful to do well as you get older, plant yourself in the church because you are, will continue to be fruitful in old age. The father in this story is the one you want to be like. He's the good guy. He's kind. He cares about the people in his household. He's generous. He throws a huge extravagant party when his son comes home. He's forgiving. He restores the status, dignity, and protection of the son. And he's understanding. He recognizes the fear of the older son and he addresses it and lets him know that he's loved. And so what's the fruit of your life? Is it good fruit? Are you like the father, kind, generous, forgiving, and understanding? Are you extravagant in your desire to welcome people home? Because here's the thing. At face value, the older son appears just as good as the father. He never left. He continued serving. He listen to his father. He, he said he did everything that his father said, but he wasn't really planted. He allowed frustration and emotion to affect the way that he lived his life. He was tossed around because he didn't have deep roots. He, did, he wasn't truly building the house. He was building his own little mini kingdom. As soon as something happens good for the house, the younger son returns, what's his response? Well, what about me? He doesn't care about the house. He cares about himself. See, your life can look like on the surface, like you're doing everything right. But if you're not bearing good fruit, then something's missing. And so what you need to do is take stock of your life, evaluate your life. Are you bearing good fruit? And if you're not, what needs to change? And some, some things that you should do, position yourself in a local church, be committed to it. Get into a small group community where you're going to be challenged and inspired and pushed to grow. Use the talents, skills, abilities, gifts, finances that God has given you to give back to the church. I love what, Ma- uh, what Jesus says in Matthew 13. He says, as for what has grown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. When you hear the word of God and understand it, meaning that you discern it and apply it to your life and live it out, then you bear good fruit. And not just a little. The smallest amount of fruit that you're going to bear is 30 times what, uh, 30 times. That's uh, incredible. Now, finally, the, la- the fourth characteristic of the father that I want us to talk about is that he keeps the main thing the main thing. He never forgets his purpose, he never loses sight of why he is doing what he's doing. The purpose of his household is to welcome the son home. The son leaves, goes off to a far-off country, wastes away all of the money, regrets what he did and is serving in a field, and then has to come all the way back. And the day that he comes back, the moment that he comes back, the father is there waiting and watching. It says, while he was still a long way off, the father, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. While he was still a long way off, we have to always remember what our purpose is. Our purpose is to watch for the lost and to bring them back and connect them to Jesus. Everything we do, all of this is about connecting people with Jesus. My, my favorite part is that he runs to him. Here's a little fun fact for you. In Jesus' culture and time, it was very embarrassing for grown men to run. Kind of still is now. Um, <laughs> it was embarrassing for grown men to run. So the father was willing to embarrass himself in order to welcome his son home. Are you willing to embarrass yourself? And then later, he reminds the older son of why they're doing this. He says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. As I was, thanks Abby for snapping. Um, When writing this message, I was reminded of a video that I saw on Instagram. It's not all bad people, okay? Some of it's good. Um, I was watching this video, and uh, it's a video of Brooke Lidgerwood. She's a worship leader with Hillsong Worship, and she was at a worship night, and she was talking about this idea of the main thing, and instead of trying to explain what she said to you, I just wanted to show you, and so I'd encourage you to turn your attention to the screens. My... uh (coughs) This is not about me, but my husband painted this piano shell for us today, and um, this is the first time we've used it tonight, and I just saw he's written. Remember why we do this. (laughs) And you know why we do this? It's because once we were dead, and now we're alive. That's the God we serve. C.S. Lewis said he didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Wow. Um, I love what her husband wrote on that piano. Remember why we do this. Why do we do this? Why do we gather together as a church? Why do we serve and give? Why do we it takes so much energy and time to create environments like this. Why do we go out of our way to have small groups and serving communities and prayer meetings and all of this stuff? It's all because we want people to find Jesus, because we want dead people to come back to life. Imagine what the church, the global church, could look like if each person that calls himself a Christian lived 100% wholeheartedly for the kingdom. For the church, if every person was serving, in the book of Joel, in the Old Testament, it says, Multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. If we were all out, if we were fully committed, all of us, we would see multitudes come to Jesus. Multitudes would come to Jesus. Chains would be broken. The broken would be restored. The hurt would be healed. The lost would be found. The dead would come back to life. Because there's transformation in Jesus. And so my challenge to you is this. Commit yourself to building his church. Because here's the thing. Jesus taught us how to pray. And he said, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are the overlap between heaven and earth. This is the place where people are going to come and find inspiration and hope and love. We are the overlap. Let's be relentless in creating more spaces, bringing more people, multitudes, not because we want to be proud of numbers, but because we want to see every single person, the one, come to find him. Go all out. Serve with everything you've got. Worship with everything you've got. Because you know what? This could be the one. This could be the one moment where someone finds Jesus, where they find the hope and love that they need, where they find the restoration that they need. This could be the one. Right now, I'd like every person in this room to bow your head and close your eyes. This is something we're committed to doing every week. It's to invite people to come into a relationship with Jesus. If you're sitting in this room and you've never Entered into a relationship with Jesus. I want you to hear this. He's waiting, and as soon as he sees you on that road coming towards him, he is going to run to you with open arms because he loves you. And if you're sitting here and you've been off to a distant country for a while and you need to come back, you're not too far gone. Okay? You're not too far gone. He's waiting there with open arms to welcome you home. He wants to restore your status, your dignity, and your protection because he loves you. And if you're one of those people, what I want you to do right now is raise your hand not to show off to anyone around you but simply as a, way to, uh, as a moment that you can mark in your life where you said, I'm choosing to live with Jesus. And so I'd encourage you to raise your hand right now if that's you. And if that's you, I want to pray a prayer right now and I would encourage you to pray it in your own heart. And it's simply this, Jesus, we love you. And we want to live committed to you. We want to build your church. We want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus, I want to live my life for you. In this moment, I am choosing to cross that line. I'm choosing to step into faith and life with you because I want that restored life. Jesus, I love you. In your holy and precious name, amen. And all of God's people said amen. Can we celebrate with everyone who made that decision tonight? (laughs) Woo!